The text for this morning will be taken from the Scripture reading. Just one verse, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Speaking of charity, it says, It doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Most of you are probably aware we've been working our way through this chapter for several weeks. I know several weeks ago when I started in this chapter, I realized there's too much here to cover in one message. So we've been working through this chapter. This is actually part of a larger letter that Paul had written to the church in Corinth. We know the church in Corinth was divided and they were fractured and The problem was that they lacked an essential ingredient, which was the love of Christ or this charity that Paul was writing about here. And he refers to it in the previous chapter as the more excellent way. So we'll continue looking at, we know the first three verses give us the preeminence or the importance of love. It says without love, we're nothing. And then it begins to give us a description of what love is or what it looks like. And it tells us here in verse 5, we'll look at four things. Sometimes we can understand what something is by understanding what it is not. So Paul here was letting us know what love is not. He says, charity behaveth not itself unseemly. We don't use that word very often, but that means rudely or inappropriately. Seeketh not her own. Love is not selfish or self-centered. Charity is not easily provoked, not easily angered or short-tempered or triggered, and it thinketh no evil. Charity is not suspicious or judgmental in our thoughts toward others. Charity doesn't automatically assume the worst. Charity doesn't keep any record of wrongs. It thinketh no evil. Well, if you're here this morning and you're already thinking, I've got this whipped, I'm not doing any of these things, I'd say, God bless you, this message is probably not for you, but for the other 99% of us that may at times have to deal with these issues, there's hope. But the Lord here, or Paul, is describing to us what charity looks like, what it doesn't do. Love is not rude. That means to be offensive in manner or action, discourteous or dismissive of others. You know, sometimes our reactions toward others has as much to say about our testimony as our actions toward them. Sometimes the way we react to a situation or a particular person will speak volumes about what's in our own hearts. First Peter 3, verse 8 and 9 instructs us, it says, be of one mind, having compassion, one of, an, one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful or sympathetic, be courteous, thoughtful or polite, not rendering evil for evil, nor railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are there to call that ye should inherit a blessing. This is hard to do says, render not evil for evil. Or you could say, render not rudeness for rudeness. Human tendency, we know, when somebody is rude to us, is to rise up and be rude back. And that's the world's way of doing things. You know, rudeness, more and more, we know, is now accepted in today's culture. 
public behavior and words that were unacceptable even a generation ago are now commonplace in our culture. Not too long ago, an author submitted an essay to the Wall Street Journal entitled A Renaissance of Rudeness. Well, we do see, it seems like, a rise of just general rudeness in society. But Christians are called to a much higher standard than that of the world. The world says retaliate in kind, fight fire with fire. Well, that's the world's way. That's what the church in Corinth was doing, but Paul was writing them to show them a more excellent way. Christian love involves choosing actions that will help others, not inflame them. We don't want to add fuel to a fire. You know, you're not going to help somebody who's rude and belligerent by being rude and belligerent back. You'll just fan the flames, and often it'll just make that situation get worse. The Word of God tells us that a soft answer turneth away wrath. You know, rudeness is really rooted in selfishness. When a person is being rude, they're being inconsiderate. They're not thinking about that other person or how that other person may be feeling. But we know love cannot be selfish. Love, by contrast, is more concerned for the well-being of others. That's why, for that reason... Charity doesn't behave itself unseemly or rudely toward others. We know that Jesus gives us a commandment in John chapter 15, verse 12. It says, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. It doesn't say be polite and courteous to others as long as they are polite and courteous to you. Jesus said it's not hard to do. Even the Pharisees and the scribes and the sinners can do that. But it says, love others as I have loved you. Render not evil for evil. You know, when we're sharing our testimony with others, we also want to be careful about how we do that. You know, the truth is offensive. It just is. People who are not walking in the truth often feel condemned and they may react in ways that aren't Positive, but we have to be careful. We are to speak the truth, but the Word of God says we're to do it in love, so we need to make sure our actions are becoming of a Christian. It says, Sanctify the Lord in our hearts and give an answer to everyone who asks the hope that is in us with meekness and with fear. That means we do it in a humble and reverent way. We speak the truth, but we're to speak the truth in love, never in an abrasive or a forceful or a rude manner, but in love. You know, the purpose of the gospel message is to condemn sin and to call the sinner to repentance, but there is a right way and a wrong way to do that. We want to speak the truth in love. We want to make sure our reactions are those that are pleasing to the Lord. I thought of Brother Chick Beasley's testimony. I read it just the other day. He said for years he was just an old railer and a blasphemer. He was born in a broken home, didn't know a thing about the gospel. At a young age, he was out on his own, and as a result, he fell deep into sin and said he got a job at a factory, I think, over in East Portland somewhere. And sometimes he was working on a... A system where you got paid, the more material you got through, a bonus system. And he said he would shove material through that old machine trying to make more money and it would jam up and he'd fly into a rage and curse and swear and throw his tools around. And 
One day a young man showed up at the same place of work, a 16-year-old man from the Apostolic Faith Church. And he says, that young man's life condemned me. He said, I would watch him, and as I would fly into a rage, he was always so calm, and he wasn't reactive in any way, and he was courteous and polite. He said, I one day went around the t- table, and I asked him, what church do you belong to? And he said, I don't belong to any church. I'm just a Christian. So that was the loudest sermon anyone had ever preached to him. And he began to treat that young man differently. He began to respect him and stop throwing stuff around. And eventually he began to ask this man questions. And he told him how he could be saved and delivered just as he was and shared his own testimony. And one day... Chick Beasley decided, I'm going to go to the church where he goes for one purpose. I'm going to see if the Lord can do for me what he did for that young man. Sure enough, he got there and he got honest with God, prayed an honest prayer, and the Lord transformed him. He said he went back to work the next day, a brand new person. But it was in large part by the way this young man reacted to him. So we want to make sure we speak the truth, but we do it in love. Love seeketh not her own. Love is not selfish. Love is not self-centered. Love does not insist on having its own way. You know, there was plenty of love in the Corinthian church, but it was the wrong kind of love. It was a selfish, self-centered self-love. They were selfish about so many things. They were selfish regarding church leadership. Every group wanted to decide who they wanted to uh, have as their leader, and they were selfish over other things, they were dividing up in groups. Even when it came to the Lord's Supper, they were dividing into different groups and they would serve themselves rather than others. And of course, we know they were selfish in their attitudes regarding spiritual gifts. Rather than use the blessings and the gifts and the talents God had given them, they were dissatisfied. Rather than happily serving in the area they were called to serve, they wanted something else. They wanted what other people had and they were selfish. And it was destroying the church. Of course, the kind of love that Jesus speaks about or that Paul wrote about here is just the complete opposite of what was going on in Corinth. They were drowning in self-love. Well, that's the world's way. Love yourself first. Before you can love anybody else, I'll tell you, love yourself first. That's the complete antithesis of what God's Word says. There was a famous actor once who was quoted as saying, to fall in love with yourself is the first secret to happiness. Wrong. That's the first secret to becoming a narcissistic, selfish, lonely person that nobody wants to be around. Love is not selfish. It seeketh not her own. It's a kind of love that Christ showed to us. It says, He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor that through his poverty ye might be rich. How many people would be willing to do that nowadays? You know, the world loves a rags-to-riches story. They make movies about stuff like that. Not too many are interested in a riches-to-rags story, but that's what Jesus did. He left the splendor of heaven. He came and he walked among men, worked as a carpenter, spreading the love of God to all he came in contact with. It's selfless and sacrificial says, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The King of kings, Lord of lords, could have demanded people worship and serve him. And one day every knee will bow, but he didn't come to be served, but to serve. 
In Philippians 2, 4 and 5 gives us some instructions. It says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And it goes on to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, in order to love like Christ, we must think like Christ. In order to have the mind of Christ, we must have the heart of Christ. We can't love this way on our own. It's humanly impossible. But by God's grace, and when that love, when we're saved, it says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost, and He enables us to love in ways that we can't even do on our own. But uh, love, charity, seeketh not her own. You know, when Jesus was asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments alone hang all the law and prophets. Get these two things right, everything else will fall into place. Your relationships will fall into place. There'll be unity in the church. There'll be unity in the home. Get those two things first. Get those down. Everything will follow. Nowhere in Scripture will you ever read the commandment, love yourself first. I thought about that little Sunday school song that the kids used to sing, J-O-Y. J-O-Y, this is what it means. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. That is the more excellent way, very simply put. We know love or charity is not easily provoked. It's not easily angered or offended. It's not easily irritated. I don't think it would surprise anyone here to know that we live in an increasingly angry society. People are angry. The Bible tells us in the last days, perilous times shall come. And they said, one of those signs is that men will be fierce, despisers of those that are good. We live in an angry world. We live in a litigious society where people want to sue for everything and anything. You know, I just read the other day about a man in Tennessee who has filed a $5,000 lawsuit against Popeye's chicken. And he actually opened it in 2019. The lawsuit apparently is still pending. Well, he's suing because they ran out of their famous chicken sandwich. I've heard of people being hangry. That's hungry and angry at the same time. This man was very hangry. They ran out of his chicken sandwich. He claimed they wasted his time trying to fill his order, and he even incurred some damages to his vehicle while waiting in the parking lot of the restaurant for a sandwich that was unavailable. Angry. There's another several years ago, they don't do it now, but somebody had put in an ad in the classified section of the newspaper, wedding dress for sale, never worn, will trade for a 38 caliber pistol. It probably explains itself. But people are angry. We live in an angry world. But love is not easily angered. Love is actually the complete opposite of anger. Love is kind. Love is patient, it's long-suffering, it's easily entreated, it's everything that anger is not. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't fly off the handle at every provocation. That's why it tells us in James 1.9, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
Who was James speaking to here? He said, my beloved brethren. He was speaking to the saints, the family of God. The last place somebody should experience anger and wrath is when they come into the house of the Lord. But unfortunately, the Corinthian church, they were operating uh, according to the world's standards. It goes on to say, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. No good thing will come from anger. We're to forbear one another in love. Listen to how a psalmist describes God's character in Psalm 145, verse 8. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. God is measured in his wrath, and his anger is followed by his mercy. Somebody once said, love puts the brakes on anger, slowing it down for the one that is loved. Love is not easily provoked. The fact that God is not easily angered shows his patience and his love to the entire human race. God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. We should all be very, very thankful and grateful that God is slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. And Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you in the same way that Christ loves us. He's slow to anger and he's merciful. That's the kind of love we are to extend to others. And finally, it says, love thinketh no evil. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't hold grudges. I heard about a businessman who was meticulous for keeping records he had this old file cabinet, and he filed everything away from receipts to transactions to everything, and he did it for 25 or 30 years, and that filing cabinet became more and more full. The drawers were hanging open. He couldn't even shut it. It wasn't functional, and it was starting to tip. And the secretary was actually concerned for her safety. She had to work right next to this thing. So she went to him one day, and she said, Sir, can we please clean out the filing cabinet? And he said, okay, you can clean it out, but before you throw anything away, make sure you make copies of everything. Well, that kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love is not a debt collector. You know, in the same way that Jesus commands us to love one another as he's loved us, he commands us to forgive as he forgives us. What happens to our past transgressions and sins when we genuinely repent? When we come with that godly sorrow, when we pour out our heart to the Lord and the Lord saves us, it tells us in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That's immeasurable in distance. They'll never meet again. Isaiah 43, 25 God himself speaking says, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. You know, when we repent and we're saved and forgiven, this doesn't mean that God gives himself voluntary amnesia. It doesn't mean that our past sins somehow slip his mind. You know, that would be to attribute human characteristics or weaknesses to God. God is not weak in any way. There's no weaknesses in God. He's not capable of forgetting as human beings do. 
But what it means is he chooses not to remember those things against us anymore. At that point of genuine repentance and salvation, he treats us as if we've never sinned. He wipes the record clean, gives us a brand new start. Charity thinketh no evil. God himself says, for I know the thoughts I have toward you, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to bring you to an expected end. Charity doesn't keep a record of wrongs. The last thing we know is charity doesn't rush to judgment. Charity charity doesn't automatically assume the worst. It doesn't ascribe the worst motives to a person's actions. John 7.24 says, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Love gives others the benefit of the doubt. It judges righteously and fairly and charitably. It doesn't automatically think the worst. It tries to think the best. I heard a story one time about a pastor many years ago in Florida, and he had a, a, a impeccable reputation. He was a man of integrity and uh, served his congregation faithfully. And one day he was seen by one of his members in a vehicle with another woman that wasn't his wife. And of course, the person that saw this word got out. She started making phone calls. Tongues started to wag. And before you know it, this man's integrity was being called into question. Well, come to find out that woman was this man's sister. She'd come to visit from out of town. But before anything was even decided, they just, by judging on appearances alone, people were rash. They rushed to judgment. Love doesn't do that. Love thinks the best. Love puts the best construction on everything, even if it turns out to be true. Love gives the opportunity toward repentance and reconciliation, but love thinketh no evil, it thinks the best. It tells us, for what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. You know, if you want others to be charitable in their thoughts toward you, you must do the same for them. If you want others to treat you with kindness and love and patience, if you want others to be courteous to you, you must be exhibiting those same behaviors to them. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I almost said as they have done unto you. That's the world's golden rule. We don't live by that rule. The church in Corinth was living by that rule. We live by a different set of standards. Treat others the way we want to be treated. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's Christ's commandment. You notice he said this is a commandment. This is not a good idea or a suggestion. It is the more excellent way. Not only is it the more excellent way, it's the only way. We know that's the way that leads to eternal life. There's only one way really to fulfill this commandment, to love as Christ's love, and that is to experience that love of Christ in our own hearts first. You can't give away what you haven't received. But the good news is if you're here and you're unsaved, you can experience a love like nothing you've ever experienced before. It's a selfless, sacrificial love. God sent his own son to give his life on a cross for you, for me, for everyone here. He came 
not to be served, but to serve, and the Lord can transform your life. He can flood your heart with a supernatural love that will give you the ability to love others the way He wants us to. You know, by experiencing His love, we will be able to feel fulfilled His commandment to love one another as He's loved us. And in doing so, it says we fulfill the law of Christ. That's what we want to do. We want to fulfill what the Lord requires of us, the way of the cross. It's, it's not the easiest way, but it's the eternal way. It's the only way. It says that love never fails. You can have a love that will never fail. That's the love of God. It can be down in your heart this morning if you're not saved again. The Lord is here waiting for you just to humble yourself, call on the name of the Lord, repent. The Lord will save you. He can sanctify you wholly, fill you with His Holy Spirit. The Lord shed His blood so that we can have healing in our bodies. It's all part of God's love for us. It's available to us today. We're going to sing song 157. Let's come and pray and seek the Lord.